Awesome. Thank you, teachers. Thank you, thank you, thank you for teaching our kids. We do not take it lightly, what you are doing. And um, we, we love that you have brought your children and entrusted them. And uh, let's, let's pray. Father, we give you this day. Holy Spirit, we invite you uh, just, just to, to, to speak, to, to move. And, uh, and, and, and we request it, God. We, we ask that you show us, that you give us a revelation, Lord, that you uh, speak into our hearts. And God, we pray that as we go out this week, God, you will um, set the ball on the tee, so to speak, Lord, that you will give us divine appointments and give us the, the courage to move uh, when you give us those things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, today, I am going to <clears throat> move through a little more scripture uh, than, than normal. You have a note section on your card. There is not time to repeat everything um, because uh, David Oaf said he's got something in the crock pot and get moving. So, yes, sir, David. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 is where I will begin. Exodus chapter 3, I'll be in, in verse 13. Uh, if, if you don't have uh, the Bible memorized, that's okay, okay? No one expects you to walk into this place uh, with all your stuff together, and uh, no one expects you to be a Bible scholar. All the scripture will be on the screen, and we have Bibles for you. If you do not have one, they're in the foyer. It is our, we are just like elated when you take one of those. It's not a burden. Don't think about it as a financial burden for us. It is a blessing to give you a Bible. So please take one of those uh, as you leave. Exodus chapter 3. This is a, a, a spot in the Bible where God has, uh, he's created the world, he's chosen his people, and, and, and he has um, moved his people into a place of sanctuary uh, during a major famine, a major drought, and that was in Egypt. And so they had great favor, and they went to Egypt. But then, as they began to be successful, as they began to multiply, uh, the people saw an opportunity, and they made the, the people, God's people, the Hebrew people, the Israelite people, they turned them into slaves. And so the Israelites were slaves, and they cried out to God for God to save them. And so God raised up a boy uh, who became a man. He grew up in the house of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And God chose him to free the people from their slavery. Now, make no mistake, God is the one who freed them. Okay? Uh, Moses just kind of got to be there. Did you ever go fishing with your grandpa when you were little? And he would like put the bait on the hook and then he would set the hook and the fish and then hand it to you to reel. That's what Moses does. That's what you do, by the way. So God comes to Moses when Moses is uh, old enough in a burning bush, but the bush is not consumed. And so God is there with Moses. And, and Moses comes into the presence of God, and God tells him that he wants uh, Moses to go and free the people from their slavery. And Moses is, is not, um, he's not okay with this. He doesn't like public speaking 
Okay, if he was in the Woodbridge Church, he would still not have been baptized yet because you have to get in front of people. And he asked God, all right, all right, so if I do this, then what do I say? Check, check, out, check out verse 13. Exodus 3.13. Then Moses asked God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I've heard a lot of theologians, minor and proper, talk about what this means when God says, I am who I am. And we can go really deep into uh, the Hebrew and what all this potentially encompasses, but on the surface, just right on the nose, God is saying, I am who I am. Who should I say? Me. I don't have to explain myself. They don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. I made you. And I have a nature. And I have attributes. And those won't change because you want me to. Those won't change because someone else is in charge. I am who I am, like it or not. And isn't that the thing? If you can get past Genesis, the first chapter, in the beginning, God created everything else should be a snap after that like oh how could they have how could how could the the red sea and the ark and how did he take nothing and make everything okay if you can buy the first chapter everything else is a breeze after that and i do we believe that that creation begs for a creator that's romans chapter one God said that the world is set up in such a way that every man is without excuse for knowing him. We believe that God came and created, and he is not waiting on our advice for how to run what he created. I am who I am. Take it just as on the nose and, and as surface level as it presents itself. And God said, this is me. Now, part of this was in opposition to the very man that Pharaoh would be speak, uh, that Moses would be speaking against, who is Pharaoh. Pharaoh has taken God's people and said that they were his people. And God is like, this is not going to work well for you, Pharaoh. And it doesn't. It goes just as horribly as you could imagine. And Pharaoh loses just about everything, fighting God for power the whole time time and so this was set up in such a way so that we could see don't fight God for power he will win and so case closed none of us have ever been in a power struggle with God over control again Whew, glad that's over now God says I am who I am it didn't change then it still hasn't changed and and our culture says that there's a lot of things about God that they don't like and I don't want to speak for God anything that's not in the Scripture. So it's, it's, it's not necessarily right for me to say God doesn't care. Because, I mean, he, he died for you. He cares about you. But he's not going to change according to anyone's opinion. Like, he doesn't care about your opinion. He cares about your soul. You are his child and he loves you. But he's not changing 
Because we've decided, hey, that's, that's not the way it should be. The, the answer still remains. I am who I am. Who sent, who sent Moses to Pharaoh? I am. And one day, God will come back and he will get his people. And a great tribulation will begin. And it will be rough. And people will speak, I think this is God. Who? <laughs> he doesn't really care about your opinion in him in the matter. Again, take that sort of with a grain of salt. I understand you can fight against that. But he's not going to change. He has spoken it. It will happen. That's the way he's planned it. And he's not waiting for our advice. Aren't we glad that we have a loving God? Because if God was a God of hate instead of a God of love, he would still be God. And what are you going to do about it? Didn't we hit the jackpot that we have a loving God? Now, enter the time of Jesus. Let's, let's fast forward into the time of, time of Jesus. And so there are four Gospels in the New Testament. So there's a break in the Bible. Old Testament, God creating the world, choosing the people, promising that a Messiah would come. Boom, you have this, this marker that separates your Old and New Testament. Also, our timeline really revolves around that. B.C., A.D., okay, boom. Jesus comes, and we step into the New Covenant, the New uh, Testament, the New Law. Now, Jesus uh, has has four accounts given of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, they are eyewitness or first-hand survey accounts of the life of Jesus. I'm going to Mark today. I could go in Matthew, Mark. Uh, well, I could go in any, any gospel. They all give an account of this. But Jesus is, is, is mature in his relationship uh, to the people at this point. I mean, he's almost been in the ministry for three years. He began it at age 30. He is now going into the city of Jerusalem, and word has gotten out about all the things that he has done. His most recent thing uh, to go viral is raising a man from the dead, and there were so many witnesses there that it spread like wildfire, and the people began to think, this is the one we've been waiting for. Now, we can relate to that. Because our world is getting a little crazy. Okay, it's been crazy for a while. And it just, like, like at this point, we're going, it figures. I mean, if somebody came out today and said, hey, lightning bugs have mutated, and now it's a nuclear explosion every time they glow. We're like, I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> it just, just, just weird stuff, right? Um, we are not unlike them because they had an oppressor and they were very much waiting for this problem to go away. Jerusalem was controlled by, owned by, if you will, Rome. And Rome uh, had set Herod, who likes to call himself Herod the Great, over Jerusalem. He... As far as the great, he built really impressive things. Really impressive things. But to do so, like nobody's figured this out. Did do y'all realize that the government doesn't have a job? Did you know that? Like the government doesn't have, they don't have an income. They take your income. And, and it was the same here as well. They were taxing the Jewish people uh, really, really heavily. 
And so it's like, not only can I take your money that you have earned, but also, hey, we're going to wage some war on some people. Give me your sons as well. And it was, it was a very oppressive relationship that Rome had over Israel. And they were waiting for salvation. But when something is so in your face... Like, that's all you can see. You know the old, the old adage, like, you can't see the forest for the trees. And so God came to save them from a lot more things than, than just Rome. But Rome was just what was on their mind. Rome was what was in their face. Rome was what was in their pockets. Rome is who had killed their sons. And they were waiting for someone to save them. Now, Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. Hang with me. As they approached Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his boys rolling up on Jerusalem. This is the disciples. This is Jesus. And came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go in the village ahead of you. What is, um, and as soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever set. Until, uh, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and will return it shortly. So they went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. They untied it, and some who were standing there asked, why are you untying the colt? The disciples answered as Jesus had instructed them, and the people gave them permission. Then they led the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, that's the first sign that we have here. This was something that you would do for a king. Remember, he had just really grown in popularity from bringing someone back from the dead. Probably would work on us as well. Many in the crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut from the fields. The one who went ahead and, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is what we call Palm Sunday. That is today. Today is Palm Sunday. And the people saw Jesus riding in and they're like, this is the one. He did, he did the sign. He had done a lot more signs than just raising Lazarus from the dead. But this is the one that just went, everybody knew about it. And they were like, this is the one. And so they went out and they were taking out maybe their outer garments and they were laid on the road. And this was a sign. The king is coming. This is the one. This is the king. Now, spoiler alert, by the time the next week is over, uh, they're not so much calling him king. In fact, they murder him by the time the week is over. Our culture says Good Friday. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't quite have the dates right. We, we have Resurrection Sunday right, but the day he died we probably have wrong. Doesn't matter. We celebrate it with our country because we're celebrating the right thing, even if it's the wrong date. But they're going to turn on him. In a few days, they're going to turn on him. But for now, they lay down palm branches. They take off their, their, their outer garments and they lay them on the road. And they scream, Hosanna. And Hosanna means... Well, what does Hosanna mean? Yeah... 
What were they yelling? See, originally, a lot of times uh, when, when the Bible gives us something in its original language, it will go ahead and interpret it for us. And so it, the, the passage actually says, uh, uh, they went ahead and those followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he in the comes in, who comes in the name of the Lord. And I always thought, uh, you, you know, a while ago that that's what Hosanna meant. But it is not. Hosanna means save us. They were yelling, save us, when he came in because they thought that he was going to be the conquering king. Now, here's the problem. What did they want saved from? The same thing we want saved from, our problems. What did they need saved from? The same thing we need saved from, our sin. They could only see a tree, and Jesus came to clear the forest. They could only see the problem in their face. Rome has sort of come and gone. Many oppressors since have come and gone. When Germany came into Poland, the Jews were saying, Hosanna. Save us. And it wasn't Rome anymore. Well, prophetically it kind of was, but it, it, it was a different country. And then when it, wasn't, <laughs> when it wasn't Rome, it was somebody else. Before Rome, it was somebody else. It was Babylon. It was Persia. It was Rome. It was Germany. It was, you, you name it, who has not oppressed this people? And so they wanted saved from their problem... But they were missing it. Because you know what's going to happen as soon as you get rid of whatever is your problem right now? Speaking of problems, I have some problems. Let's address these problems. I have three problems. I want my three problems to go ahead and come up here. <laughs> my question is, what do you want salvation from? I'll tell you what I want salvation from. <laughs> I, have, I have some problems. Well, that wasn't a very big problem. <laughs> but as soon as I'm done with that problem, guess what? There's a bigger problem. Second of we Lewis and Clark. All right. <laughs> Dusty brought this bat and it's loaded. And then I get rid of this problem. And guess what I have? I have a bigger problem. <laughs> and have you ever gotten rid of a problem just for it to have been working on its swing all the while? And as soon as I get rid of that problem, oh, dear Lord. I think this analogy has run its course. That one hit a bone. And, and I have a problem after a problem after a problem. And then I yell, Hosanna. Now, catch this part. J.D., would you take care of this problem? Would you save me? And you know what I want her to take? 
that's not what I wanted her to take. I, I still have my problems. I still have my problems. But go ahead and take a swing, problem. What I have been, no, sir, no, no, this is, this is run its course. I knew somebody would be looking for a loophole. We're not, we're not replaying Dumb and Dumber in here today. All right. What God has saved me from is my problem's ability to take me out. Because when I say Hosanna, it's this problem. And then I say Hosanna because of this problem. And I say Hosanna because of this problem. And I could keep going. And so on and so forth. Problems, thank you so much. Go, go back. Thank you for your help. And, and when, I said, when I said, J.D., save me from this, I was expecting her to take away my problems. And we say, God, I want you to take away my problems. And most of the time what we mean is, God, I want you to make me comfortable enough that I don't need you anymore. But we say, God, I want you to take away my problems. And, and he takes away our problems' ability to overcome us, our problems' ability to hurt us. Now you say, hold on, because I have a disease and it's still quite painful. Yes, but guess what? Rome is not your problem. See, because Jesus came, and he didn't take Rome away at the moment. He took away sin and death. You will have problems until the day that you die. You will have problems. Jesus said that he came not to bring us out of the world, but take us through the world. And so Jesus has not taken away your problems. He has taken away the problem. Jesus has not saved you from evil in the world, Jesus has made evil have no authority over you. Can I get an amen from anybody out of that? He has taken away the ability for your problems to control your mood, your attitude, your future. I've yet to conquer that one. But God has saved me from the wrath of my enemy. And he says, oh, death, where is your sting? And I will die someday. But that's not a sting for me. That's a celebration for me. Because it no longer has the ability to whack me in the back of the legs. It's still there. I'm still going to go. But he has taken away the sting of death. He's conquered death. He went to Hades and he took the keys. He didn't sneak in. He made the earth rumble. The sun went dark. We actually have extra biblical uh, authors who wrote about the day that Christ died and they are explaining away naturally why the sun went dim. And they were saying, oh, this, is, this has happened before. And they were explaining the earthquake because those things happen. What does that tell us? It happened on that day. There was a rumble, and Jesus went and he took the keys to Hades. Why? Because no one could stop him. And you know what he did? He removed the problem. 
God says, do not be deceived. God will, be not, will not be mocked for man reaps what he sows. Will I still have problems? Yes. Will there still be repercussions for when I do wrong? Yes. God has principally set this up and it will run its course, but God has taken away the sting of my enemy. Interesting, though, I want to explore this for a moment. Sometimes uh, we don't want saved by God. We want saved from God. You disagree with me right now, but hang on. Jesus actually addresses this. Mark chapter 12. This is in the same context. I'm in, the, I'm, I'm in sort of the same passage that we were just reading. This, this is, you know, Jesus coming in, and he comes in on Palm Sunday, and what does he begin to teach? Well, this is what he teaches. In Mark 12, 1 through 11, he began to speak to them in parables, and, and Jesus is about to give you his point of view on your problems. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Now, that's a garden. Think about that. I mean, he built it all. This is turnkey. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. Now, what are we talking about here? If you're looking for you in this story, you just found you. <laughs> you're the tenant farmer. He is the one who built the wine press. You're, you're getting the analogy here, the sphere? Uh, he built the wine press. He built the watchtower. He made all this, and he leased it, and he went away. Hopefully, we're connecting all the dots. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from them. But they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Did God not send prophet after prophet after prophet? And what did we do to them? Again, he sent another servant to them, and they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. He still had one to sin, a beloved son. But those tenant farmers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Is this any different than Pharaoh? You know what? This is not really all his. It's mine. I possess this land. I possess this thing. How many of you were ever, if you were ever, and don't raise your hand because that'll make you look pathetic, but if, if you were a stud athlete, stud athlete, how foolish is it to be arrogant about that? Were you not born with that? Who gave that to you? Like, how can you be arrogant about that? It's on loan. Manage it. Be proud that you managed it. You didn't do that. You're super smart. Good. That means you're super responsible. Because God has given you something and gave it for a reason. So I cannot be arrogant about what I have. I use it responsibly. We have this world. You have land. You have possessions. You have whatever. You have nothing. I'm, I'm super proud of you. You invested. Some of you have taken chances that I just don't have the courage to take. I'm proud of you. Props for that. But you have nothing that God did not allow you to have. And we use it for him. Otherwise, we're like these people going, you know what, we lease this, but honestly, I think we own it now. And we don't. This is on lease. And when the king shows up and says, hey, from my vineyard, what do you have? So, 
But those tenant farmers said to one another, this is the heir, come let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. I'm on verse 8 now. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. They were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken this parable against him, so they left him and went away. God was, uh, or yeah, Jesus was speaking this parable to the Pharisees, to the ones who were sort of in charge. And he was like, this is not your vineyard. This is all on loan. And when God comes and says, where is your faithfulness? You need to cough it up because you don't own this. This was leased to you. And Jesus was like, I am that son coming back. And he's prophesying right now that they would kill him. They didn't see it. So guess what they did? They killed him. I mean, there's a great irony. Jesus is predicting what they would do to him in this conversation. And you know what they did? It says they were looking for a way to arrest him, but feared the crowd because they knew he had spoken. They, <laughs> they couldn't see it. They're not paying attention to what he's saying. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop this mumbling about how we're going to kill you. We're trying to figure out how to kill you. <laughs> stop, all, stop all this nonsense about how uh, you, we're, we're, we're tenant farmers that owe stuff. We're trying to kill the king's son right now because we think it's ours. What do you think God will say? They didn't want to honor the builder. They wanted to take over. Is that not what Pharaoh did? Who took God's people as his own people? Is that not what the Pharisees were doing? Treating God's people as though they were their people to rule over? Is that not what many churches do? Is use people as a stepping stone to YouTube fame? And we take things and say, this is mine. And we are in the same boat Pharaoh was in. And what does God have to say? I am who I am. It does not matter. <laughs> our opinions, our advice, because we pray and give lots of advice to God. And I do too. I catch myself all the time. I have, I have quite a few suggestions. I feel like they're creative. But he doesn't always seem to take them. Sometimes he does. Is this us as a people in the same boat as Pharaoh saying, you can't have it, it's mine. You will find yourself fighting a battle that you can't win. John 10.10 10. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus came to give you life. There is no need to fight against him. The very one who created the vineyard in this parable, he also set up a watchtower. He also went ahead and created a wine press. He set them up for success. There was no reason that they could not have great joy, have great success. The problem came when they thought that their lives were their own, when they thought that the vineyard was their own, when we think that the church is our own, when we think that our possessions are our own, when we think that our talents are our own, we face a God who says, I want you to go free your people. Tell them, I am who I am. 
Because you will go in this culture to people and they will say, well, I don't like how God did this. And I don't like how God did this. And I don't like how the Bible says this. And it changes nothing. I want the worship team to go ahead and come up. We want his blessing because you want to be blessed by the Lord, right? And God said that he came to give life. I think that God wants to bless you. Our problem is we want his blessing our way. Our problem is we want his blessing our way. And God says, oh child, if you would just open your hand to receive, yes, I will take some things out of it, but I will put so much more in it. I'm not preaching to you that you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I am telling you that God has created. Um, I'm telling you that God has defeated your ultimate enemy. I'm telling you that God has taken the bat away from your problems. I'm not telling you that your problems will go away. I am not telling you that you're going to have prosperity in every measurable way that you want. I am saying that God came so that you would have life to the full. And I kind of like that part. But I will never get there my way. I must get there his way. And I learned that from God's perspective, it's all his anyways. God tells us in Matthew, what, what good father in this place whose son wants a fish will give him a snake? God won't do that to you either. He's a good father. If we, sinful people, can be good fathers and good, good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly father do for you? But the problem is, I want Rome gone. I want my financial problems gone. God won't fix my car. Right? How many people have just gone sledgehammer crazy? because of your water, hot water heater. Like, <laughs> that thing will come and go. There is a problem, there is a thing, and it is just wrong for you. It is one tree in the forest. It's just the tree that happens to be right in your face. God has taken away that problem's ability to take you out. If you are a child of God, your father has taken away that problem's ability to take you out when you when, when they cried Hosanna this is the irony and this is I'm, I'm done because Dusty's like why you call us up here and then talk for 20 minutes when the is that my key when the people <laughs> cried Hosanna God save us he did look back at your life how many times have you said God save us you're here. He did it. He continues to do it. And it so far has not looked exactly the way I had planned. The way I had planned was going to fail. It's going to be awesome for a couple days, but it would have eventually failed. When we cry out to God, He saves us. Trust God that he sees the real enemy. 
Trust your Father that He sees the real enemy. If you are a Christian in this place, you do not have to fear death. If you are a Christian in this place, you do not have to fear hell. Anybody? If you are a believer in this place, you do not have to fear an eternity separated from God. If you are a Christian in this place and you have loved ones who have gone who are believers in Jesus, you will be reunited with somebody who gets to spend eternity with God. Do we even have hope in that or what? Now talk to me about Rome. Now talk to me about Rome. Now talk to me about your hot water heater. Talk to me about your car. Where is that going to be in heaven? No, no, no. God has taken away a problem so much bigger. You're still in the forest. you still got trees in your face. They won't kill you. Listen, your problems aren't going to take you out. If you are a child of God, this is just a training ground to get you to the Father. Oh, death, where is your victory? Because it ain't here, baby. That doesn't mean I'm not going to die. That means I'm going to live eternally. Christians, take hope. Jesus paid for your sin if you would just accept that. And he has saved you from your biggest problem. Stand and worship with us.